0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Good morning. Glad to see everybody here this morning. We'll be looking uh, today in Matthew chapter 13, uh, and the first part of chapter 14 actually, So let's begin by reading Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 53 uh, through uh, verse 12 of chapter 14. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished, and said, where does this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary, and are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. At that time Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, He feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oath and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Um, Not one of the more lovely stories in the Bible, for sure. Probably one that it's a good thing the kids left, right? Because it's kind of gruesome. Sad. Um, but uh, the account of John's uh, execution is a little bit of a side note. The, the main focus of these two accounts, which actually do go together, um, they, there's a lot of parallels between them, and they, uh, it's unfortunate there's a chapter break, uh, because um, they really do go together in theme and idea. And the real question that we're wrestling with here is, who is Jesus? Uh, who, who is this man? And it's actually been uh, a theme that's been brought up many times through the book of Matthew so far. Um, But it begins more and more focused and more and more pointed as we go into the book. Who really is Jesus? Um, And up to this point, the people asking the question were people who really didn't know uh, of Jesus' history or past. They were people who were just meeting or encountering him for the first time and seeing him teach, seeing him perform these mighty miracles. Uh, But what's unique about this story is these are people that grew up with Jesus, right? There are people who knew him from birth in his hometown. Um, uh, And and they knew that he was the carpenter's son, Mary's eldest. Uh, And they can't explain this remarkable wisdom and power of Jesus. Uh, And uh, what we see over and over again in the Gospels is that Jesus uh, is doing these things that are clearly beyond Uh, an ordinary person. Like These are not the things that that everyday people do. There's something extraordinary about Jesus. And what's interesting is that no one ever disputed or denied his miracles, which I think is significant. Um, uh, These people uh, in, in Nazareth saw what Jesus was doing. They heard him teach. And none of them discredited it or tried to say, well, it's just smoke and mirrors, it's just some kind of magic trick. They all saw that what Jesus was doing was, was uh, incredible, right? Um, but, but it raised all kinds of questions, like, who is this guy? How is it possible that he can do these incredible things? Where is he getting his power? What's his source? Who really is he? And it really is the most important question that anyone will ask or answer. Right? Who is Jesus? All eternity really rests on that question. Um, And how do you explain his life and his power? Well, of course, modern man has come up with the solution of just denying that it happened, in spite of all the evidence, right? In spite of the fact that thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of people saw Jesus doing these things live and in person, and over and over and repeatedly saw Jesus. Uh, doing these incredible miracles and teaching these incredible things. Uh, And not one of them ever could discredit his miracles. Not even his enemies uh, who eventually killed him. None of them uh, said he was a fake in terms of his power or his wisdom. Um, But what they couldn't do is answer accurately and, and correctly who Jesus was. They couldn't explain where his power came from. And so that's the story really that we look at today with two accounts, both the people of Nazareth and with Herod. The question is, who is Jesus? Where does he get his power? And it's so important how we answer that question um, uh, that we accurately understand who Jesus really is. So let's look at these two stories and see how they kind of connect, even though they seem a little disconnected, see how they both wrestle with this question. Um, you can also look at this as really the story about two prophets. And uh, this, uh, in in the story of Jesus going home, he identifies himself as a prophet. Uh, And, and of course, John was was considered a prophet, it says. So um, it's really the account of two prophets. The first is a prophet who who is at home. probably familiar with the story. He goes, uh, as far as we know, this was in the Gospels anyway, this is the only time Jesus goes back to Nazareth and teaches and does ministry in his hometown. Now, he may have uh, gone other times, but it's not recorded in the Gospels. Uh, so it's a unique opportunity, and he's at the synagogue teaching, uh, and the verb that's used there would indicate that it wasn't just a, a one-off shot, that he was perhaps there for a series of days or for a time teaching repeatedly. Right? So they were getting a good exposure to Jesus, and we're hearing him uh, and it says that they were uh, as they listened they were astonished at what he said right and i i just this is mind-boggling to me okay these people are listening to him and they really are just blown away by by Jesus teaching it's it's astounding it's it's um it's impressive right maybe not even just impressive it's it's amazing uh, to such an extent that they're they're just kind of in shock, right? They're really blown away by by Jesus' extraordinary wisdom and teaching. Uh, Jesus was an incredible teacher, uh, and and everywhere he went, he had this effect that people were just blown away by his authority, by his power, by the way he taught. They had never seen anything like this, and and so they were they were on the on the one hand very impressed. But But, notice what their response to that is. They're not like, wow, that's, this, is, this is our hometown boy." I remember when we were uh, pastoring planted a church in a little tiny town called Mancus, a town of eight hundred people. And um, they, they, they think that Nazareth was a town of probably between uh, uh, five hundred and thousand people, really small place. And um, Mancus had the, the the claim to fame of a professional football player, one of their local high school students. Went off to the NFL and played for uh, the Detroit Lions. Was a, a, a Pro Bowl football player. Very good career in football. And so, I mean, everybody in the town knew Luther Ellis. And, like, you come into town and there's this big sign, Home of Luther Ellis, right? Because they were proud of him. So, like, the people of Nazareth, they should have been, like, putting up a sign, Home of Jesus of Nazareth, right? Right? Like, they were, should have printed T-shirts, Like, this is our guy, right? Is that what they say? No. They're like, what? Where did this man get this wisdom and this teaching? This power? Where did this come from? Right? They are very skeptical. And they're questioning, where did he get it? And the thing is, the ironic thing, they're actually insulting their own town. Because what they're saying here is, obviously they didn't get it here. Like, obviously Jesus didn't get this Ability here, because this is Nazareth. And that was kind of the reputation of Nazareth. It was such a loser town. Even the people who lived there were like, we didn't get it here. Like, we, we know what the school's like here. Right? Didn't get it here. Like, uh, we know his mom. We know his, his dad was the carpenter. You know, he was the guy we would take our plows to get fixed and he would make doors for us. Right? Um, that's, that's Jesus' family. We know his brothers. We know his sisters. They all live here. Like, there's nothing extraordinary. And, and even, it's important to know that Jesus probably hadn't been gone from home for very long. Right? We know that Jesus worked as a carpenter in Nazareth up until he left to, to go into his full-time ministry in Capernaum. It's possible, we, we don't know the chronology exactly, but it's very possible that Jesus had only been gone for a few months. Right? That, that maybe six months has gone, by, right? maybe a year, maybe a little longer, but it hadn't been long. Not long enough for Jesus to travel to some exotic country and sin under some great guru or rabbi or teacher who imparted to him this wisdom. And they're saying, what Jesus is doing is, is inexplicable. There's no explanation for how incredible this guy is, right? Uh, and they knew him as a boy, um, and 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 Jesus hadn't it apparently stood out as a boy or as a carpenter, like nobody was saying. Boy, that kid's got potential. You watch that boy. When he gets older, he's going to be something, right? Uh, Interesting. Like his teacher. What, Jesus? (laughs) Like I taught him in fifth grade. He was like, nothing special, right? Um, There was nothing about him that led them to believe. And it's a good example of some of the parables that Jesus has just been teaching, it's an example of the parable of the seed. Remember that parable? Jesus said, The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. In its beginning, it's small and insignificant. There's nothing impressive about it. And Jesus is that mustard seed. Uh, and, and they said, He's just, He's nothing. He's small and insignificant. He's, he's a person that would be easily overlooked. How is it He, all of a sudden, is teaching with such wisdom and authority and power? Um. And, 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 and so this is an illustration of what Jesus is talking about. The kingdom of God was coming in a very hidden and unexpected way. And in a way that it was easy to miss. Especially by those who knew him best. Um, okay, so that's kind of the backdrop of that story. Then we jump over to chapter 14. And uh, and here we find a, a prophet in prison. right? John the Baptist. Uh, and... Uh, it's an account of, of, of how John ended up in prison and how he ended up uh, being executed. But the backdrop is really the main point, the first couple of verses. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. right? So even Herod, who uh, was a local governor, he wasn't the king, but he was uh, the governor of a precinct, and he had heard of, of Jesus' teaching, Jesus' reputation, the many great miracles that he was doing. And Herod also is trying to explain it. How, how is it that a normal, ordinary human being could be doing these things that are so extraordinary? So he came up with a different theory. He had his own, apparently he was into conspiracy theories, maybe he spent too much time on Facebook, I don't know. But his, his theory was, oh, you know, it's that John the Baptist that I beheaded. He's come back. Uh, as, a, as a ghost or as a spirit who's uh, come upon this man and is empowering him. And so his explanation was, was kind of based on, on the superstitious. Uh, and then um, uh, Matthew gives kind of an extended footnote to give us the story of John, to bring us up to speed. Um, and uh, we probably are familiar with the story. Um, John, being a prophet... Uh, loved to point out people's sin. And he really didn't care who the person was, if it was some lowly slave or if it was Herod the Tetrarch. And uh, as it is with most public figures, their sins are just a lot more public. Their sins are out there for everybody to see. So they make great sermon illustrations. So I could just see John preaching, you know, woe to you who divorce your wives, right? That's a sin. It's against the law. It's just like that Herod guy, So Herod became a very common sermon illustration for John, where he would blast. And and Herod was, um, there were a lot of Herods, and it's confusing, because Herod was actually the family name, and in the Bible they all get lumped together as Herod. This specifically was Herod Antipas, who was the son of Herod the Great. So Herod the Great was the one who uh, tried to uh, kill Jesus at his birth. Uh, and, And so this is, that Herod's son, Herod Antipas. And he was this ruler over Galilee, but also over a region called Perea, um, which is how he was connected with John, because that was the area where John uh, ministered. And Herod Herod, uh, fell in love with with his his, his brother's wife, Herodias, who also was a member of Herod's family. That's why she gets the name Herodias. She was actually the daughter of Herod Antipas's half brother. You got all this? Okay, you with me? Doesn't really matter, actually. The point of it all is that Herod Antipas Antipas fell in love with Herod Philip's wife, his brother, and he uh, lured her away and married her. Divorced his wife, and Herodias divorced Philip, and it was a scandal. It was also a really foolish move politically, because uh, Herod's First wife was actually the daughter of a Nebatan king. And in the end, it actually caused him to have a war with this guy. So Herod was not the, the brightest guy on the block, right? Um, and he had become a target of John's preaching, denouncing this immoral relationship. In fact, it's interesting that Matthew doesn't even call him Herod's wife. He says, you, you should not, it's not lawful for you to have Philip's wife. So in Matthew's mind and in the Jews' mind, she's still uh, the wife of Philip, right? It was wrong for Herod to be uh, married to her. And so John was very public in his uh, condemnation of that sin. That sin because that's what prophets do. And uh, Herod, uh, getting probably a lot of pressure from his wife Herodias, put him in prison, uh, but did not kill him, it said, because he feared the people. Uh, but then comes Herod's birthday and he throws a lavish party. The Herodians were known for uh, having these extraordinary birthday parties and other kinds of parties with drunkenness and all kinds of partying and reveling. And that was probably the scene. Uh, Herodias uh, is behind the scenes scheming and plotting and she sends her little 12-year-old daughter out to do a dance. We don't really know what kind of dance it was, but it probably wasn't the hokey pokey. Uh, or, you know, I don't know, whatever. Um, Uh, It delights or pleases Herod, and he says, hey, I am so excited for your dance. Um, It made me so happy. You name it, and I'll give you whatever you want. And of course, what she's been prompted by her mom is to ask for the head of John the Baptist. And so Herod finds himself trapped. Uh, He can't lose space, and so he orders the execution of John. Um, A lot of of lessons could come out of this, um, but one principle we could take away from this story is that uh, if you choose to be a prophet, you cannot be a people pleaser. Um, uh, A prophet does not live to make people feel good about themselves. A prophet lives to speak God's truth. It doesn't matter who it is doesn't matter if it's a political person or a powerful person. A prophet is one who speaks God's word, who calls people to repentance, and that was John's ministry. And John wasn't just critical for the sake of being critical. He wasn't going around condemning um, Herod just because it was fun, or because he didn't like Herod, or because it's just fun to pick on politicians. No. He was calling Herod to repentance. He's saying, look, what you're doing is wrong. It's dishonoring to God. And uh, Herod claimed to be a Jew. He was probably at best only one-fourth Jewish, but he claimed for political reasons to be a Jew. And John says, look, if you're going to claim Judaism, you must follow its laws, and what you're you're doing is breaking the law. It is immoral. Uh, And it's damaging. And as I said, it it ended up being a, a politically disastrous move, not to mention a morally disastrous move. Uh, it's just a good reminder for us that the role of the church, the role of us as Christians, is not to schmooze or kiss up to or make friends with politicians to use their power to our advantage. And of course, the church never does that, right? We never see church leaders in countries I won't mention that I'm from uh, standing up with political leaders who they should be denouncing their sin in a moral lifestyle, but instead they're applauding them to get on their right side, right? Um, the church should never do that, right? We should be in love denouncing sin in culture and in society. We should not be applauding immoral and godless leaders, siding uh, with them to gain some kind of political influence. Right? Uh, Jesus never did that. John certainly did, didn't do that. But the church is constantly doing that because we want to be popular and we want to be accepted. Right? And instead of speaking out against sins that the, the society is embracing, uh, the church is silent and we keep our mouths shut because we don't want criticism. We don't want to be ostracized. Right? We don't want to be lambasted. And instead we make friends with people we should be speaking out against. Well, that certainly was not John's problem, right? John had no problem speaking out, and he certainly was not making friends with people in high places. And in the end, it cost him his life, right? In the end, it cost him his life. Um, so, so, so here's two stories. Um, what's really the main point? Like, if we were to sort out some of these details to kind of separate out the footnote about John, what's really the main point here? Well, the main point that Jesus is, that Jesus and Matthew is making is the vital importance of understanding who Jesus is. Who is this Jesus? That's the question that both these groups, both the Nazar- people of Nazareth and Herod ask. Who is this? How is it possible Jesus has this kind of power and wisdom? What makes him such a remarkable and extraordinary person? And it's, a, it's incredibly important how we answer that question. Uh, now what's interesting is um, both the Naz- people of Nazareth and, and Herod and in the end stumble over Jesus. We'll talk about what that means in a minute. They stumble over him. Uh, first, the people of Nazareth. They, uh, when they ask the question, you know, how, how do they answer it? When they say, who is this? Where does he get this power? How do they answer that question? But well, we read through the passage, and in the end, they don't answer it at all, right? They, they, they have no explanation. They just throw up their hands and say, Well, we don't know, but, uh, but they took offense at him anyway. We can't explain Jesus. We don't understand where his power comes from. We're not going to try to understand it. We just want to be offended by him. Right? That was their approach. The word offended there literally means to stumble over. It's the word to get the word a scandal from, to be scandalized. And it means to fall or trip over him. Um, and, and so they, they fail to answer that question. Who is Jesus? For them, he's too much one of them. He's, too, he's just one of us. How could somebody who's one of us, who's a loser person from Nazareth, how could he do these things? We don't know. But we're just going to be offended. Uh, They can only see his humanity. And they cannot make the link to his divine nature, to his divine origin. Which would be an obvious explanation. Well, maybe this guy's from God. Maybe God has empowered him this way. But they're unable to make that connection. And they settle for no explanation. And because they cannot answer that question, it says that Um, And and Jesus makes a statement, a prophet is without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. right? Their failure to understand who Jesus led them to unbelief. And Jesus was limited in what he could do there. Not because he couldn't work, but because uh, he would not honor their disbelief. And he was not able to work in their midst uh, what, he, what he wanted to, to show his power and his grace. Um, with Herod, he has a different explanation. Uh, and he actually comes up with an explanation, right? Herod asks the same question, where does Jesus get this power? Uh, and as I said, he comes up with his own um, explanation, uh, s- basically superstitious, right? That somehow John came back from the dead... And, and somehow that, that's empowered Jesus to do these miracles. But, but likewise, Herod fails to see that Jesus was sent from God, that the source of Jesus' power was God himself. And so uh, just as uh, the people of Nazareth were, were an illustration of the parables, so in both cases they're actually a, an illustration of another parable that Jesus just gave about the sower and the soil. You remember how Jesus explained the parable of the sower that he went and he sowed the soil and some of the seed fell on, on the hard ground of the path. And In Matthew 13:18, 18, he, he describes it this way. He says, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That is what was sown along the path. And see, both of these groups, both the people of Nazareth and Herod, proved to be hard soil, where Satan comes and snatches away the seed of truth because they could not understand who Jesus is. They failed to understand his message and the source of its power. You see, it really does matter what you think about Jesus, right? It is everything. Do you understand who he is? If we fail to understand who Jesus really is, Jesus warns us that the seed will be snatched away. Right? The word of truth will be snatched away. And what little we are given is lost, so that we have even less understanding. And without that understanding, it really is impossible to believe, Faith comes from a right understanding of knowing who Jesus is. No one can have saving faith if they don't rightly understand who Jesus is. That's why we make such a big deal about Jesus. That's why we teach about him all the time. Because it's critically important that we understand who he is. Um, Those who failed to understand Jesus' divine source of power, that he was sent from God, could not believe him or follow him. They could not walk in the path of discipleship. And in the end, they rejected Jesus and turned away from him. But the the opposite is also true, that for those who know who Jesus is, those who get it, those who look at his life and say, Jesus did amazing things. He did teach with incredible wisdom. And the only good explanation for that is that he came from heaven, right? That that he was God sent. That's the only really, really legitimate explanation for it. He didn't get it from a book. He didn't get it because he went to the right seminary or school. He didn't get it because he had a really great guru for a teacher. No, Jesus exceeded every teacher. He was above and beyond every source of wisdom. The only thing that could explain his life is that he was heaven sent. That, that, That he had a divine origin to his life. So, uh, so who is Jesus, right? Where does Jesus get these things? Well, we've already answered it a little, but let's just think through briefly a comparison between uh, these two prophets, John the prophet and Jesus the prophet. Uh, Matthew, and, and in fact the crowds, even Herod linked them together. They were both seen as modern uh, contemporary prophets of that day whose ministries were very similar. They preached a similar message. They 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 preached a message of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, They both lived similar lifestyles of uh, uh, traveling itinerant teachers who had very little wealth and who lived uh, a very simple life and who drew great crowds by their teaching. Um, And they both showed they both they both basically came to the same end of a prophet, (laughs) meaning death, right? Uh, they both highlighted the fact that uh, choosing a career path as a prophet was a very dangerous career choice, right? And I don't know, you know, nowadays they have like these lists of the most dangerous professions, like firefighter, policeman, right? Maybe maybe in Jesus' day they had that, like soldier, certainly was at the top of dangerous things. Maybe sailor, I don't know, lion trainer. Right up there was with, with that list is prophet, prophet, because the prophets died. Often, right, And that's what happened to, to John and Jesus. So in that way, there's some very, very clear similarities to their life. But there's three ways in which they are very different. In which Jesus shows that he is really far more than a prophet. He is a prophet, but he is much more than a prophet. And the first one is this. John was sent by God, but Jesus was sent from God. Right? Jesus was sent from heaven. And uh, Matthew, um, Matthew's strategy is to keep this somewhat of a secret and to slowly reveal it through Jesus' life and ministry until the climax at the end. But John is a lot more just, let's just get this out there. So like from John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John, make sure you don't miss it from the first sentence. Uh, Jesus is God, right? Sent from heaven. So in John 3.13, when Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, Uh, Jesus says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Right? So in John we see Jesus proclaiming, Look, I came from heaven. The source of my power and authority is that I came from God Himself. I came from heaven. I have divine origin. Jesus' origin was not Nazareth, right? That is where he lived out his life in the flesh, his humanity. And it really highlights for us the wonder of the Incarnation. The Incarnation is the word we use to describe that Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time. 100 percent right? God, 100 percent human. In his human nature, he had a body, and he uh, was born to Mary and he grew up in Nazareth with such a human life that the people there uh, saw nothing remarkable about Jesus. Like that's how human he was. Um, And, you know, some of the apocryphal stories talk about Jesus making clay birds and turning them to life. Probably not true. Because the people of Nazareth saw nothing spectacular about Jesus after he lived with them for 30 years. They're like, he's just an average kid. He's just an average person. That's how human his human nature was. How human his real life existence in the flesh was. He was fully man. But all of a sudden, Jesus starts doing these incredible miracles. He starts healing. He starts raising the dead. He starts teaching with this authority that's from God. And that's the revelation of his divine nature. That he was God in human flesh. This amazing mixture of God putting together, he came from earth and he united his divine nature to a living human body. And he became the God-man. That's who Jesus is. Right? Uh, John is the last of the prophets, but Jesus is so much more sent from heaven. Second thing, that they're, they're different. Uh, John was a prophet who spoke for God. And that was, the word, that was the job of a prophet. The thing that got them in trouble all the time is they would speak God's words. And God's words were sometimes loving. God's words were always filled with hope. But oftentimes God's words were very convicting and challenging Often God's words would call out very specific sins. Um, Now, the good thing is, uh, I I don't know that I'm very prophetic, but sometimes people come up to me after church and say, Wow, what you said, I just felt like you were speaking right to me. And and let me just assure you, like on Saturday night when I'm preaching my sermon, I'm not thinking back there thinking, oh man, Avril. Like this would so speak to Avril, because I know Avril, and I just know Avril needs to hear this, right? So I'm going to just be like, I promise, I, that never happens, right? The only person on my mind when I'm, when I'm studying is me, right? And how God's word speaks to me and, and the conviction it puts me under. Right? So if it's speaking to you, that's the Holy Spirit. Trust me, it's not me. I'm not thinking of you personally. Right? But it's kind of the effect of the prophetic word. It's pointed. It's convicting, uh, it's God's arrows that point out flaws and weaknesses and sin in our life, right? And certainly John did that. Uh, and ultimately, John, in his prophetic word, pointed to Jesus, right? His ministry was to point to Jesus as the one who was to come. Uh, but Jesus did not simply proclaim the word of God, right? He didn't just simply point, uh, take the word that God gave him and speak it. Again, going back to John, Uh, uh, the Gospel of John, Jesus was the Word. He was the living Word. Uh, His very life was the Word of God. He was, because of that, he was the perfect revelation of God. Uh, John gave some revelation as he heard it from God. Jesus was revelation. The perfect example of everything that God is and was and will be wrapped up in his life everything about him was pointing and revealing and showing us the character and nature of God in his very being right jesus couldn't help but portray his father so again in john who brings us out much more directly in john 14 jesus is having this uh, conversation with his disciples about how he's uh, how they know who he is how they know where he came from how they know he's the revelation of the father and and um with that great confidence in them Philip says Oh Jesus wait wait one second I don't actually know who you are I don't actually know who you are Could you just tell us one more time a little more clearly who you are And Jesus Jesus says to him in John 14:9 Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me Philip Whoever has seen me has seen the Father How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus puts it right out there. I am the absolute direct revelation. If you've seen me, you've seen God himself. You've seen God the Father in his glory. And I am the revelation of God's uh, very character and being. Jesus shows us firsthand who God is and what he's like. That's who Jesus is. Uh, Third third distinction between John and Jesus is the way they died. Now, they both died the death of a prophet, right? They both were killed by their enemies because of their prophetic ministry, because they spoke the truth and they called people to repentance. Uh, But but John died a very tragic and, in one sense, a needless death. The only reason uh, John died was because Herodias was a wicked lady and Herod was a weak husband and leader, Right? And they plotted against him. And, and the reality is, John didn't need to be imprisoned. John didn't need to die. Right? He, he was a victim of, of just pure wickedness and evil. Um, and his death was, was, was tragic and, and in that sense somewhat meaningless. Right? Somewhat meaningless. But that is not true of Jesus' death. Right? Jesus' death was no less tragic, but Jesus was not just a victim of some evil plot. Jesus was a victim of God's perfect plan to redeem mankind from their sin. Jesus' death was not uh, needless. It was actually quite intentional. As Jesus laid down his own life as a sacrifice for sin, to be our atoning sacrifice to take on himself our sin and through his blood to wash us and cleanse us. He died as an intentional, purposeful sacrifice for sin. It's why he came. It was the ultimate pinnacle and goal of his mission, not just to reveal God, but to be the sacrifice for our sin. And so in that, Jesus' death has great meaning and purpose for all who believe, For all who believe. So who is Jesus? To you, who is Jesus? How do you answer that question? Well, the good thing is if you can say Jesus is sent from God. He is the living Son of God, Son of Man. Fully human, fully God. And he got this power because God because he was God. Not just because God gave it to him, but because he was God. And, and he gave his life as God's only son for me and for my sin. As the perfect sacrifice for sin. Uh, if you can say that, uh, that, that is the beginning of life-changing faith. right? That is an understanding that is the basis and root of all faith. Uh, that brings to salvation. And unlike the people of Nazareth, if you have that kind of faith, God wants to do mighty works in your life. It says that for them, they, Jesus could do no mighty works because of their unbelief. But if you have that kind of faith, God wants to unleash His power in your life to change you and to save you and to give you even greater faith and greater understanding. Right? Um, so, going back to this, the parable of the sower and the soil, right? if you understand who Jesus is, if you receive that word of truth with understanding and faith, Jesus says this about you. For what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundred, in another case sixty and in another case, 30-fold. That's God's promise. If you have faith, if you know who Jesus is, the Word comes in and it changes your life, and your life becomes fruitful. Many times over, you will multiply its working in your life as God works powerfully to change you and make you like Him. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand.